For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and a radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes? Don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet, and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over. You won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today. Do you ever feel awkward? Really awkward? Really, really awkward? Awkward during your job interview? Especially awkward right after your job interview, maybe before it? How about during networking events? How about right now? Hannah Pryor is here to help us normalize feeling awkward. How to work through it, not view it as a weakness, and use it as your greatest asset for personal growth. Hannah Pryor, PCC, is a workplace performance expert and an award-winning TEDx and Global Networks keynote speaker, executive facilitator, and coach. Her clients call her their secret weapon for impossible change. Her debut book, Good Awkward, just published on September 26, and has been endorsed by NFL quarterback Russell Wilson, former HBR editor Karen Dillon, and received the rare Kirkus Star for Excellence Award in Writing. Henna, thanks so much for joining us on the job interview experience. Thank you for having me. And to answer your question, have I felt awkward in all those situations? Yes. <laughs> and then some. So you have. Can you give us a quick glimpse into your story and what led you to where you are today? I started my career in public accounting. I actually worked for Ernst & Young, a big four firm. And just to quickly go into the origin of that, you know, I'm first born of two immigrant parents who wanted me to work in a stable career. My choices were originally doctor, lawyer, engineer. I said, no, thank you. So we landed on finance and accounting, <laughs> hence the accounting job. But I did that for a couple of years before I pivoted into a career that you know well, which is, you know, executive search, direct hire. I did that for 14 years with a $2 billion staffing firm. And what I'm really proud of in that career was not only was I, you know, top 10% performer the entirety of my career, but I very much did it my way. 
for 14 years. You know, once my kids were born, they're now 13 and 11. So I had babies and toddlers pretty much the entirety of my staffing career. And for me, the effort became about creativity and not about sheer muscle power and hours. I knew I knew I needed to approach the whole thing differently if I wanted to stay at the top of my game. So that was the 14 years. It was wonderful. And a few years ago, coming on four years ago now, I finally listened to a very strong inner voice in my body that said, hey, you're great at this. Search is good to you, but you are destined to do something a bit more to help people expand to their next level of success. And I pivoted to coaching and speaking, which is where I am now. And I know one of the topics you speak on is awkwardness. What inspired you to focus on that as a topic? Yeah, it's twofold. First, my own origin story. So whatever eloquence and confidence that you hear now, it kind of makes me smile when people say, oh, he seems so together and confident. I'm like, well, should have known me then, right? I felt awkward my whole life. Yeah, I mentioned child of immigrants. My food didn't smell like everyone else's. My clothes didn't look like everyone else's. I constantly say that my story was one of my bumpy edges sticking out when all I wanted to do was smooth them away. I wanted that social acceptance. I wanted to fit in. I got to college, started to let that go a little bit. But then I would find that in every inflection point in my professional life, in my career, you know, new job, new team, new client engagement, new promotion, new negotiation, I would find myself channeling that younger version of myself again. All those feelings of awkwardness would come back. And ultimately, the deep dive began when our queen, Brene Brown, who many of us in the professional development space, you know, adore, she would say at the end of her podcasts and at the end of her interviews, she would say, stay awkward, brave, and kind. That became her tagline. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, brave, yep, my parents taught me that one. Kind, yeah, I know that's important. Stay awkward. No, no, lady, I've been trying to get rid of this my whole life. What are you talking about? And so I got very curious about this unique emotion and the role it plays in our ability to be successful in career endeavors and taking risks and courage and confidence and specifically at work. I think awkward feelings might spike to their highest levels during job interviews. And then especially right after starting a new role, what mm -hmm. does it mean to you to be good awkward in the job search process? Yeah. So quick definition. Awkwardness in this context is an emotion that we feel when the person that we believe ourselves to be or our true self is temporarily facing a gap with the person who other people see on display. So more simply said, for a moment, our internal identity doesn't match their external reality. There's a gap. And in that gap, we feel the emotion of awkwardness. Now, awkwardness is a social emotion, meaning we don't tend to feel this discomfort when we are by ourselves. So if we are by ourselves and we are reading the name of one of our interviewers and we mispronounce it, we don't really feel awkward about that. We're by ourselves. We do that in front of someone whose approval we're trying to get. All of a sudden, that emotion lands very differently. So awkwardness as a social emotion also exists in uncertainty. It's when we can't predict socially how someone will react or how something's going to go. And a job interview uniquely is one of those situations that not only are you in a situation that you've not been in exactly before, you know, there's not usually a guarantee of exactly which questions you're asked, how you're going to be asked them, et cetera, but you're also doing it with people that you don't know well, whose personalities you can't read. And so the entire situation, more than most, 
is ripe with social uncertainty, which is why that feeling of awkwardness tends to kick up especially high in those situations. How do you think the avoidance or the effort to avoid awkwardness or embarrassment, how does that hold people back from success in their careers? Yeah, one of the most pervasive ways I see it from a career standpoint is what we do to try to avoid awkwardness is we cater and we perform. So there's an entire body of research that talks about the dangers of catering. Catering in this context essentially means putting on a version of ourself that we hope will be pleasing to the masses, right? That will be palatable, that will meet that other person's expectations. And most of us think, well, isn't that more likely to get us the job? Isn't catering to someone else's expectations going to help us? Not exactly. The research does not support that. So while first impressions do matter, right? So if this is a professional environment, perhaps you do wear a jacket and not a hoodie, right? First impressions do matter. But there's actually a substantial amount of research that says catering actually reduces efficacy and performance. So out of Harvard, Francesca Gino and her team did a study where entrepreneurs were pitching for funding from investors. They were trying to get funding for their ideas. And they actually found that the entrepreneurs who catered to the investors, who really tried to play this song and dance of what do they want? What do they want to hear? They were three times less likely to get the funding than those who just came in prepared, but passionate, researched, and still made mistakes and misspoke and made blunders. They weren't unprepared, but they were more authentically themselves, blunders and all. Those folks were three times more likely to get the funding. So catering to other people's expectations not only is exhausting, right, wearing a mask of someone that we're not, but also is actually proven to diminish our performance. And that can be a real danger in interviews when we're trying to cater to someone else's expectations. I've seen that myself, and I'm sure you have as well on the other side of the interview table, which isn't an entrepreneur pitching, but similar in many ways. People will come in and sometimes give compliments that are well-intended, but I think the intention there is to obviously not just to lower the amount of awkwardness, but to get them to like you. And then maybe yeah. if they do that, the interview will be easier. And it just never comes across well. A compliment's nice, and there's maybe nothing wrong with that. But I, with the entrepreneurs doing the pitches as well, you, you'll see things like that, trying to be nice, trying to call back to maybe something they've done before, which has its place, but maybe not in this quick pitch where people are trying to falsely build that rapport, which then in their mind, I would assume, removes awkwardness, but it just never works out. Yeah, it doesn't. In our heads. It, it doesn't land like that. Exactly right. And I think what's funny is when we think about catering and performing, and it's exactly what you're describing, we're doing some inadvertent agenda setting. We are trying to be very prescriptive about how this interaction will go. We're trying to manage the expectations because the uncertainty feels like too much to bear. So we think, okay, if I layer on compliments, you know, I'm pretty sure it'll go a certain way. But then the danger, and I know you've heard this one before because I've heard it a thousand times, is the hiring manager turning around and, you know, telling the recruiter or telling the internal partner, well, that person didn't really answer the question I asked, right? Because they were so concerned with the catering, with the agenda, with how they wanted it to go, that they actually stopped being present because being present is awkward. Staying in the moment and not getting hung up on what you want to say next is awkward, but it's also critical if you're going to answer the question effectively and not fall into that catering trap. Some people listening will maybe have a job interview the next day after listening to this or they're preparing for them in the next coming weeks. What are some actions they can take to shift their mindset and how they 
behave or think of themselves during these interviews? I think that the first thing to recognize, and I think this is just an important preemptive statement, is awkwardness is not synonymous with ineptitude. Sometimes people hear this word and they think, if I come across as awkward, I come across as inept. And the metaphor I use in the book is, I wouldn't hire an inept anesthesiologist, but I'd be perfectly fine hiring an awkward one, right? We're not talking about competence and capability and smarts. If you are generally someone who comes across in an interview as well-prepared, as well-researched, as capable, competent, and generally smart, if you have a blunder or if they ask you a question and you're like, honestly, Miss Interviewer, I, I just truly don't know the answer to that. I'm going to look it up and figure it out next time. Not only is that okay, but actually a little bit of well-placed awkward discomfort makes you come across as more likable, more trustworthy, more generous, and more forgivable because your lack of perfection actually puts your interviewer at ease. It makes them think, here's someone who's not putting on airs for me, and they won't sweep things under the rug when they get here on the job. Now, again, this does not excuse people from not preparing, right? I'm not saying go up in there as, you know, blubbering all over yourself. You still need to do that preparation, but understand that a well-placed misstep or blunder, in fact, is not going to hurt you to the extent that it typically does, as long as it's not skills-related. You know, if you're going in for a tax accounting job, please don't have a misstep on your tax skills. <laughs> That's probably not going to work. But in general, those things are actually very humanizing. So a big mindset shift to make is perfection is not the goal. Bringing your entire self and your presence to the conversation is, even though awkwardness is a likely byproduct of that presence. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I have a lot of listeners write in, and something that they frequently say is, my interview was awkward. I said, um, many times, and so on and so forth. And I say this on the show, if you have the right skills for the job, if you say um a lot, it's not going to stop you from getting a job offer. If you can't convey your skills or maybe your answers aren't, aren't the path that they're looking for, that's different. But if you say during your interview, mm -hmm. it might be noticed, it might, might not even be noticed, but it's really, it's the skills, it's the core of the message, it's the cultural alignment. So people overthink this because it feels bad and answering in other ways doesn't feel quite as bad as looking back and seeing these small things that we do that make us maybe ashamed of the way that we convey our message. I know that you take a science-based approach to your work. Did any of your studies or maybe stories on this topic surprise you? Oh, yeah, several. I think one of my favorite studies, especially as it relates to the landscape of kind of career and interviews, is there was some interesting data I found out about a phenomenon called vicarious embarrassment, especially in the workplace. So vicarious embarrassment is a very specific feeling of embarrassment that actually is a function of a certain type of empathy. So I'll give you some examples. Have you ever been in a situation where you watch somebody give a presentation at work, for example, and they brutally mispronounce someone's name? Like, awful. And that person is sitting in the room. Now, there are some people that'll go, oof, right? And then they move on. There are other people who, even though they're not the one who mispronounced the name, 
are in their chairs having a full body physical reaction, right? They're hot, they're sweating, they're like, oh my gosh. Vicarious embarrassment is directly linked to something called easily empathetically embarrassed. So when you're particularly high on a certain type of empathy, it's interesting. Not only do we feel a little embarrassed for other people, like, oh, oh man, we actually become full-on embarrassed with other people. We can, we can literally take that on ourselves. Another example of this, some people are familiar with cringe comedy. So think about 40-year-old virgin or Borat or Curb Your Enthusiasm, one of these genres. Right. So some people love them. They watch them, they laugh, and then they go make their, their dinner. Other people cannot watch these shows. They literally need to bury themselves under the blanket only to never come out, right? It's a, a visceral reaction. Now, what does this have to do with the workplace? If you are someone who has observed someone royally screw up in a job interview or royally screw up a presentation and you had that visceral reaction, it becomes very difficult for you to take the types of professional risks. They're going to help you accelerate your career. They're going to help you stand up in front of the audience because you're always operating under the assumption that other people feel that way about you, which is not accurate more often than not. So much of this is internal, whether mm. the empathy mm -hmm. or, or just those feelings. Is there a way to adjust those internal thoughts and move away from kind of the cycle of feeling awkward and then going deeper into that feeling? Yeah, I think this awareness bit is 99% of the battle. You know, when people ask, how do I embrace my awkwardness? They say, well, it's, it's a two-parter. It's awareness, and then it's also conditioning, which we can talk about in a minute. But the awareness bit is, what are the messages you received growing up as it relates to your bumpy edges sticking out, right? Awkwardness, again, is a social emotion. It is directly tied to approval. We're trying to earn the social acceptance of others. And when something goes sideways or it goes in a way we didn't expect, when we are young, we start to look for who we are through the lens of what do other people see and do they approve of who they see? And so if you're someone who got a lot of those messages in your upbringing, whether it be from your caregivers or your peers of don't do that, people are watching. Oh, my God, so awkward. Can you believe you just did that? That's so embarrassing. Sit down, go away. Right. What are the messages you received? That's something that's an important awareness to have because we can start to rewrite those stories that we tell ourselves about what awkwardness represents. Also, it's, it's universal. I think oftentimes people, when they feel awkward, they think, okay, I feel like this, but really confident people in interviews or in career moments, they don't feel like this. I'm going to happily and excitedly, and I'll keep it PG, call BS. They do. Every human being experiences awkwardness because awkwardness lives in uncertainty. And unless we've cracked the code on uncertainty, we all feel it. The confident people you see have developed skills for their comeback rate. And comeback rate actually has to do with conditioning. It has to do with keeping those social muscles strong in small stakes moments so that when we get to the interview, when we get to the presentation, we actually have some practice. And increasingly, we live in a world where we don't have to have small stakes social interactions. We order our food online. We text here from the driveway instead of ringing the doorbell. You know, I live from a generation where I had to talk to my friend's parents on the phone for, you know, 15 minutes before they got on the line. But we've smoothed away all these small social interactions. And if you work hybrid and remote, even more so. So these muscles need a little more attention to stay strengthened so that we can manage these bigger moments when they come. I'm so glad you said that, because as we're moving away from those in-person interactions, 
the people that force themselves to get into those moments, whether it's just saying hi at the checkout line or many other examples, you're actually giving yourself an advantage. You're brushing away some of that. And I think you use the term muscle memory, yeah. some of that muscle memory. And it's also just good to be nice. But if you do that, if you listen to this and you decide to say hi to your neighbor instead of just wave and, and look away, whatever it is, you're creating that interaction that many people are losing, but you don't have to. And I think if you can keep that up, it will serve you well in the professional world, but also just in your interpersonal connections. Do you see a way to turn that awkwardness into an asset? When we think about awkwardness and where it exists, there's sort of two main buckets. There's life's unplanned moments, which is I'm walking down the street. I tripped on the sidewalk. People saw me. I didn't exactly plan for that. But on that note, we can just improve our comeback rate, right? Are we really going to sit there and stew in it? Or are we going to tell ourselves a story about, hey, everyone does that and moving on? But then we think about life's planned moments. I raised my hand in a meeting. I offered an idea. It landed with a thud, right? Silence. Nobody liked it. That's also awkward. But when we can start to reframe our stories and condition for those moments, the key thing to know is that the, the worst case scenario there is that moment, it feels so awkward and consuming that the next time it leads to inaction or, you know, it paralyzes us from raising our hand again. That's where things can become bad awkward. Good awkward means understanding that when those moments occur, which they will, because we can't predict other people, that what we are actually are celebrating is not the outcome. We're celebrating you raised your hand in that meeting and you tried, right? We have an in intentional talk track designed ahead of those experiences to say, I'm going to try to say this thing. And if it doesn't go well, if this negotiation doesn't go well, if this conversation doesn't go the way I hope, if it lands with a thud, here's my narrative. Here's my talk track that I'm going to choose ahead so that I can embrace the same type of situation the next time. You know, leaning into these moments and understanding that uncertainty is part of it, not trying to eliminate it, is part of our key in any inflection point of growth we find ourselves in career-wise. Your book, Good Awkward, is hot off the press. What type of feedback are you getting on it from readers? Oh, gosh. I'm honestly, I might get emotional. It's been incredible. You know, outside of all the accolades and endorsements, the thing that makes me happiest is every single person who reads it, they say two things. They say, A, I'm so enjoying a nonfiction book that's a fun read, right? Because a lot of nonfiction books right now are clunky and hard to get through. And I was very intentional that this will be insightful, research-backed, but a fun read. It's, it's awkwardness, guys. We got to learn how to laugh and, you know, take it a little less seriously. But also, the second thing that I hear over and over is, I feel like you wrote this for me. I feel like you wrote this for me. And this is just all the more proof that we all think it's just us. When it relates to awkwardness and embarrassment, in those moments, it feels like no one feels as impossibly awkward about this as I do. And it's so clear that this is such a shared experience that we all have that affects us in different ways at different linear levels. But it is something that is so universal that I think hearing the reaction of how relatable it is to folks is it's a, a gift to know that it's impacting people and helping them move out of their own way. I'll put a link to that in this episode's description. I'm going to pick up a copy for myself <laughs> and figure out a way to maybe give it as a gift to a friend or two. Fantastic. In closing, can you tell us a little bit more about the type of work you do at Priority Group and how listeners can connect with you? Yes, thank you. I am a keynote speaker first and foremost, so I traverse the country speaking to companies and teams. We do a lot of different trainings on workplace performance, things from influence, persuasion, 
you know, modern confidence and courage. My style with everything is always very science-backed, but relatable, right? Try to keep it very human, very fun. Also, we do workshops and trainings and things like that. And I do have a team of executive coaches that I work with as well, things from career coaching all the way through holistic leadership development and performance. So anyone who is looking to up-level themselves, I would be more than happy to have a conversation. We'll link to that as well in the episode description so people can get in touch with you and learn more. Thank you so much. This is a topic that I've never spoken about and guests have never <laughs> spoken about on the job interview experience, but it's so real. It happens every day and especially on the subject that we talk about here, which is job interviews, the job search, maybe first days at work, things like that. Thank you for helping us realize that this isn't a bad thing and there's ways to reshift our thinking to make this work for us and navigate those moments with a little bit more confidence. No, thank you. You are not alone. If you think you are awkward at work, you think you are awkward in a negotiation, I assure you, you're not alone and you can do something about it. So join us in the movement. Thanks so much, Hina. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and a radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes, don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. You just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over, you won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today.